asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Let's be honest, the first place our family turns to when we're looking for a quick getaway is always Airbnb. I know we can find an amazing place to stay at the beach, like St. Simons on the Georgia coast, for instance. Mm -hmm. It's one of our favorite spots. That's what comes to mind, Matt, when I'm thinking about travel. And while you're staying at someone else's home, have you ever thought about what you could be doing with your own home? That's right. Your empty space could be an Airbnb while you are away because that is all you need to become an Airbnb host. It's a lot easier than you think and you don't need to Airbnb your entire house. You could just host your extra spare room if you've got one. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to How to Money. I'm Joel. And I'm Matt. And today we're discussing making work a smaller part of your life with Money Pro, Tanya Hester. All right, Joel, this is going to be an episode talking about our attitudes towards work. And uh, we're going to talk about retirement as well as just some different types of retirement. And I'm glad that we have our five-minute segment with Tanya to get us thinking about that a little differently. Joel, but first, I wanted to run a frugal versus cheap by you, man. I got, I got one for you. Bring it, buddy. Okay. So I applied for a new credit card because I was wanting to get that sign-up bonus. This nice. is a $500 sign-up bonus. Ooh. Yeah. It's a, it's a pretty good one. And here's why I want to talk about this is because a lot of times people talk about not opening new cards for bonuses like that because it dings your credit. Yeah, I think we had a recent discussion in the Facebook group about that. Maybe. It's kind of a constant sort of topic, right? Yeah. But so my question is, is it being frugal or cheap to sign up for a new card to get that bonus when it hurts your credit score? What do you think? So I think it depends on your specific situation. If you're applying for a home loan or a car loan, like literally next week, then it's it's cheap. It's a bad idea to get that 500 bucks and ding your credit score and potentially hurt these interest rates that you're going to have for a long time on while you're paying down a car or a home. But if you're not in that situation, if you're not looking to finance anything in the near future, I say ding your credit score and take the cash. Yeah, man, I couldn't agree more. I mean, what's your credit score for, but to use it? I think what happens is a lot of times folks view their credit score as this indicator of just how good they are with money or maybe their success or just a number of things. But that number is there for you to use it. If you have a great credit score and you can use that to, to get great financial products, whether it be a new credit card or especially loans. But in my case, I'm using it to, to get new cards, to get those signup bonuses. Well, I'm not looking to have a perfect credit score just for the sake of at someday achieving 850, right? It's like a gold star on a test. Or yeah, like, like what's that. it really matter? It doesn't right. really matter. Yeah, what matters is the bottom line. And for me right now, that's not getting a, a great rate on a new mortgage because I'm not looking to get one of those anytime soon, like you mentioned. But the dollar amount in my pocket, like that's what I'm looking at. And in our case, we already had a big expense coming up. Literally this morning, we actually just paid for our new baby. 
<laughs> All right. Yeah, oh. the, at the Burke Center, I told you about that. Uh, you got to wait on delivery reason. for a while, Exactly, right? yeah. <laughs> but that's an expense we knew was coming up. And so why not put that on a card? And we're going to pay it off at the end of the month and get that $500 off. That's a, that's a great deal. But like you said, if you're going to be applying for a mortgage anytime soon, you might want to hold off. And know yourself as well. If you think that applying for a new card might cause you to spend more than, than you really should be spending. Well, don't, don't do that if you know that you'll be tempted. Yeah, you're going to pay for the baby anyway, right? <laughs> Certainly. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I think too, to your point about how people view their credit score, Matt, there's some people that are obsessed with hitting the 800 credit score number or, or even getting above that. And they're like, why isn't my score perfect? And there are all these little things that influence your score. And if you're in that 760, 770 or above range, you're in amazing credit territory. And if you're above 740, you're in super, super solid territory. And, and so I think just kind of look at where you're at. If you have a credit score of 790 or 800, taking advantage of a new credit card deal with a sign-up bonus is going to cost you in all likelihood 10, maybe 12 points. It's not that big of a deal and it still keeps you in pristine credit range. So don't overthink it. Don't worry about it. So it's important to know yeah, that your credit score is, is helpful for so many things, but it's also something that you can use to your benefit like you're doing right now. Yeah, Joel, it's important to not get too bogged down with the details when it comes to your credit score. I want to talk about our beer today that we have from Land Grant Brew Company, uh, and they are out of Columbus, Ohio. Matt, this is a beer in their Quadrahopic series of IPAs, and this one features four specific hops. And this was sent to us from listener Kayla, who works for Land Grant Brewing. And you know we're always down for a good IPA, so thank you, Kayla, for sending this one out. We're having some sips of this right now, but we'll talk more about this beer at the end of this episode. Yeah, Matt. So on to the subject at hand. The topic of the day is making work a smaller part of your life. And we're bringing Money Pro Tanya Hester on to, to talk about this. She blogs at a blog called Our Next Life. And she recently wrote a book called Work Optional. And if you stay tuned to the end of the episode, we're actually going to give away a few copies to listeners. Um, she also, by the way, hosts the Fair Sense podcast. And she's done so much work, which is kind of a funny thing to say because <laughs> she's talking <laughs> about work optional. She's done a lot of work to think through uh, this subject well. She has afforded herself the opportunity, she and her husband, to make work a completely optional part of their life. They can work however much or however little they want to based on the way that they've saved and invested and thought about money for a number of years. So I'm really excited to see how we can take this subject with Tanya and make it applicable to listeners no matter what their current financial situation is. Yeah, Joel, that's one of the things I love about Tanya's story is uh, she's talking about this from a, a standpoint of authority because she has achieved financial independence. She's retired early. But she wasn't always set in life. She mentioned in her book how until her late 20s, she had a negative net worth just from some dumb financial decisions that she made. She wasn't one of these high school grads where straight out of high school, she started like an app or you know, she wasn't a genius in college to where she had companies on Wall Street making her amazing offers. She worked for NPR. And I don't know if you've heard, but NPR asked for a lot of money because, <laughs> because they're not very well funded. Yeah. People in radio, I, I can attest to this, don't typically make too much money. And I guarantee you, most of the folks at NPR aren't making tons of money either. Yeah, so. exactly. And so I love though that she started at that point. Um, and I think that's incredibly relatable to anyone. And we'll hear Tanya's five minutes of distilled wisdom about this in one second. But really quick, let's talk about the problems that people have with work, Matt. And, and we addressed this a little bit in episode 50 of our show about what a proper view of work should look like. And we mentioned that work is a wonderful thing, but work isn't everything. And those two views have been the main ways that we've categorized work in our culture these days. And Americans work way more than they did in the past and far more than other countries. So it's no wonder that we are looking for ways to work less and enjoy our work more. And so Tanya isn't approaching this because she hates work. And we don't either. We think work is an important thing and, and a meaningful thing. We think that she's kind of helping us find out how to do meaningful work from a position of strength. And having strong personal finances is crucial in that equation. Yeah. And just not being stressed while you are working. She also mentions how like her and her husband are both on boards and they're pretty much busier than ever right now. But what they are doing is they're spending their energies and their time working on things that they actually truly care about. And when they don't have to worry about the money, well, it becomes a joy. It's, it's sort of this passion pursuit. And how much more fulfilling is that when you're able to work on something because you believe it, not because you know that, well, that's how I get the best paycheck. Um, and that's where she's operating from. And I know I want to operate from that standpoint. And I think a lot of our listeners uh, I would agree. And that resonates with them as well. Yeah. So just a quick reminder that the way these Money Pro episodes work is that we bring on our Money Pro for five minutes of distilled wisdom. And so without further ado, here is Tanya's five minutes on avoiding burnout and making work a smaller part of your life. Hey, Matt and Joel. Thanks for having me on to talk about how to make work a smaller part of life, even if you never plan to retire early. 
First, let's talk about why it behooves us all to act as if we're going to retire early, even if early means 50 or 55, not 40 or 35. Depending on how the survey writers ask the question, we know that somewhere between one-third and two-thirds of people retire before they intend to for a whole host of reasons. Poor health, badly timed layoffs, needing to care for a sick loved one, that kind of thing. We also know from new Urban Institute and ProPublica analysis that more than half of workers over 50 are laid off or let go in ways that irreparably harm their financial health, maybe making the type of retirement they'd hoped for impossible. More than half. More than half of workers over 50. And of course, we all know that automation, outsourcing, and shifts within industries aren't ever-present threat to long-term job security. What you do now simply may not exist as a job by the time you're 50. So even if you love your job and have zero desire to leave it before your 60s, you may not ultimately have that say. And you're so much better off if you can give yourself the financial flexibility to weather any setbacks that come your way. But ultimately... We're talking about making mandatory work a smaller part of life, which feels like an almost revolutionary thing to say in our 24-7 hustle culture. The hustle culture that puts virtually all the power in employers' hands, that puts most of the productivity gains into shareholders' hands, not workers' hands. The work culture that has us working, on average, four full-time weeks worth of hours more per year than workers did 40 years ago. The culture that has most of us checking email on vacation and when sick, if we even take any sick time at all. This isn't hustle culture, it's burnout culture, and it's killing us. But it's possible to fight back. In my book, Work Optional, Retire Early the Non-Penny-Pinching Way, I outline three possible paths that you could follow to make mandatory work a smaller part of your life. First, there's full early retirement, which is what I did along with my husband, Mark, saving enough so that we never need to earn another dollar, meaning any work we do is now entirely on our own terms. There's also semi-retirement, in which you save fully for your traditional retirement and then work just enough in your semi-retired years to cover all or part of your living expenses. And finally, there's career intermission, in which you save enough to be able to take a year or two off from work, or perhaps a year every decade, or six months every five years, whatever feels right to you. But the truth is that you don't even have to achieve any of these levels of financial independence to make work more optional in your life. When we got to a point in our savings that I knew we could both get laid off and be unable to find work for a full year and still be okay, it was incredible how my whole view on work changed. Suddenly, that daily stress affected me less. The nonstop travel felt less grueling. Honestly, I felt powerful. I knew I didn't need the job. And while I stayed with it for several more years and honestly loved it until we'd saved enough to quit entirely, knowing I could quit and be okay was one of the best things I've ever felt. It also changed the whole dynamic I had at work. Most of us have this massive power imbalance with our employers. They have the money, and we want it, so we'll do pretty much whatever they ask of us, even if it's unhealthy and unsustainable, even if it destroys our relationships and gives us no time outside of work to pursue our own passions. When I knew I didn't need my job anymore, it flipped how I saw the whole arrangement. It was no longer me speaking to an omniscient being who held my fate in its hands. It was two economic equals. We each have something the other wants. I want your money and you want my skills and talent. Knowing I could walk away was what made it possible for me to rise to that equal position in the relationship and to push for what I wanted, like better projects and teams and better terms for those working under me. I didn't have to get anywhere near early retirement levels of savings and investments to feel that power. Just enough to know that I could quit any time. And that's something that's within reach for most of us. So where to begin? I'm a big fan of starting by mapping out what your ideal life would look like, both so you know what it costs and so you have a vision that will motivate you to save over the long term. Then get tactical. Track your spending, figure out how much you can currently afford to save and how you expect that to grow over time, and then put automated systems into place to help you save, like having your paycheck split so a portion goes to savings without you even seeing it, or working toward maxing out your IRA or 401k. I offer a savings sequence in the book that helps you think about tackling a bunch of financial goals in sequence, whether it's paying off debt, saving to buy a home, or saving for early retirement, or some combination of all three. You don't have to be a super saver or a high earner to give yourself the power to live a work-optional life. You just have to be willing to get started. I hope this has given you something to think about. Thanks for letting me share my thoughts, guys. Tanya, thank you. This is awesome. There is clearly such a wealth of wisdom that Tanya has, and it's no wonder that she's written multiple books, Joel. Um, I'm looking forward to diving into all that she had to say right after this break. 
When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. That's why you listen to this podcast. And if you're looking to upgrade your wallet, you need to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. If you're paying for vacations with whatever card is in your wallet, you could be missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. You can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade, lounge access... Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. And now a word from the show sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? Do you want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment is the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal. Rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words, your money is breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit Betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Spring cleaning is kind of a, an annual rite of passage. We've all got to do it, minimize the junk that we have in our house. Emily and I, we just cleaned our closets out. It took hours, but it was so worth it. Now we've only got stuff in there that we love, and it's easier to find everything too. And so, you know, while cleaning your closets is helpful, well, there's something else you can do for your family this spring. Shopping for life insurance with Policy Genius, for example, is a really important part of your financial planning for the year. That's right. Yeah. And here is the thing that's important to remember because you might be thinking you don't need to check out Policy Genius because you've got a policy through work. But even if you have a life insurance policy through your job, it may not offer you enough protection for your family's needs and it may not follow you if you leave your job. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. Policy Genius works for you, not the insurance companies, and that means they don't have an incentive to recommend one insurer over another, so you can trust their guidance. Save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Kachava is the all in one superfood shake made up of high quality plant based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Kachava really earns their 52,000 plus five star reviews. It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Kachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using Kachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out Kachava. Just go to Kachava dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money all right matt we're back and man i so love what tanya had to say and, and the perspective that she has like where she comes from one of my favorite things that she said uh, was at the beginning of her five minutes when she said that it's better to act like you're going to retire early even if you don't think that you're going to. And that was such an awesome and powerful thing for me. And I think the reason why is because many of us think that we control our own fate, that even if we're a good employee, that we're assured of a job in the future. And especially in today's corporate culture, that's just not the case. And I love the idea of acting and treating our finances like we're planning to retire early, saving a whole heck of a lot more than we are now, uh, even if we don't necessarily want to, to quit work at an early age. I think that's so powerful and so important. Yeah, Joel, because like she mentioned, there's a whole host of reasons why you might 
actually have to end up retiring early, whether they be personal or industry specific, depending on the industry that you're in or your specific company. Um, I'm, I'm with you though. The, the fact that she mentioned focusing on doing that early, it's sort of this overachiever mentality. And honestly, that's just a better way to live life. I'm not habitually late by any means. I don't think I am. Am I late all the time? No, not usually. I don't think so. <laughs> but I can probably count on my hand the number of times I was early to something last year. But when you are early to something, just think about how much better of a position that puts you in. When it comes to the quality of life that you have, you're just less stressed. You're not rushing around to make sure you're there on time. When it comes to opportunities, like you show up early someplace, you're just kind of hanging out. You, like you can find ways to help out. You have more options when you have time. But then also like the quality of your work improves. Imagine showing up to an interview 10 minutes early versus right on time. You're probably going to perform a little bit better if you had 10 minutes to sit there and think about it. So just in general, when it comes to your finances and reaching a point of financial stability uh, a little ahead of time, a little bit early, in a similar way that you see that benefiting you in real life, like social or work situations. And there are a lot of aspects of our life, Matt, that we don't have control over, right? We might, like Tanya said, have some sort of bad health outcome or, or get laid off, even if we've been doing a good job. And there might be a need for us to care for somebody else in our life. Maybe somebody else that we love and care about deeply gets sick. And who knows what that may bring to your life time-wise and money needs. So even if you love your job, even if you think and you plan on working till age 65 or 70, well, unforeseen circumstances could prevent that. And you just have to be prepared. And Matt, for example, the company I work for, my day job, they have announced that the radio station I work for is for sale. And that could mean a whole host for of things. For sale by owner? Is it like a, there's a sign out front? <laughs> there is, yeah. And I was like, I'll buy it. And they're like, you don't have enough. Sorry, you can't. But yeah, so there is such an element of, of fright in the building when an announcement like that gets made. And you can just tell that hmm. so many people haven't thought at all about what life might look like if something like that were to happen. There's just been zero planning. And I understand that. Like, I have pity for that. Like, I, I completely know that there are so many other things to take over our lives from just the, the day job, the grind, and, and kids, and all the other things that are going on in our lives. But if we don't pay attention to our finances, an announcement like that gets made and people are freaking out. And for me, I mean, I like my day job. It's really fun. I like the people I work with. I like what I do. But I also know that when this announcement got made, not much changed in my mind because I know where I'm at financially. I know that I have the ability to weather any storm like this. And that just gave me a lot of confidence that I don't have to worry about what happens. If they call me tomorrow and say, it got sold and we don't need your position anymore. Like I'm in a position of strength to be able to say, okay, I can take a year off or I can work to find something else as quickly as possible, but I just don't have to fret about it. And that is such a nice place to be. And I know that that's just a rare position for people, but it's an important one to think about now before uh, that announcement gets made at your work, right? I, I love that you are in a position of, of strength to a certain extent here. It's not, not to say that you're financially independent right now or that, you're, you know, that you've retired early, but you have... Well, that I could because I can't. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but you do have some margin. You know, I've, we've talked before and you've mentioned how you could maybe take a year off and you, know, you could get by. Things would be all right. We're maybe in a similar position. I don't think we could take a full year off, but that's something that we're working towards to have that financial margin, to be prepared to weather the different storms like that. And again, it's not saying that we don't enjoy work. We're just looking at ways to make mandatory work a smaller part of your life. And so in order to do that, though, you have to push back against the standard work culture where the power is in the hands of employers. And Tanya mentioned that because when you're overworked like that, that's what leads to the burnout. When you feel that you have to say yes to every single thing that's being asked of you, sometimes it may not even be the most upstanding request, but you think, oh, well, shoot, I'm counting on a paycheck to come in next week. You're kind of held to this carrot, you know, being dangled in front of you. And there's a requirement of you to perform to a certain extent. And that's the view and attitudes towards work that we're trying to get away from. Matt, let me give you another just quick example. And part of the reason that I've created this level of financial security in my life comes from what I experienced as a kid in childhood. And my dad lost his job when I was pretty young. And he had this great middle management job. And my parents were kind of living at this place where, where they could meet their monthly obligations, but they weren't putting anything aside for the future. And I guess the assumption for them, just like so many other people, was that things would continue on the way they were indefinitely. And so when, when my dad's company got bought by another company, he was laid off. And that created immense amounts of financial tumult in our lives. And I love what Tanya was talking about with making work a smaller part of our lives. Because even when you lose your job, if you don't have a small amount of financial security, if you're living paycheck to paycheck, uh, you don't have any options when it comes to your next place of employment. 
to a certain extent. You're pretty much at the whims of whatever the market has to offer at that moment in time. Okay, let's talk now about how Tanya, she mentioned how there are three possible paths towards working less in your life. There is full early retirement and you know that's financial independence where all work is optional. That's sort of the pinnacle uh, when it comes to retirement and your savings. And really, that just means that whatever you have in investments, whether it's rental properties or uh, in your retirement accounts, can cover your living expenses so that you don't have to work. That's right, man. And the next, she mentioned semi-retirement or partial retirement. And this is where you can save fully for a traditional retirement, but then you continue to work some to cover your day-to-day living expenses. You know, honestly, I think this is a great option if it's hard for you to imagine life without work. Personally, semi-retirement or partial retirement is my goal because... I just see work being a large part of what I do. I, I, I want to continue to work. I want to be able to continue to create things. You know, we're working hard at creating this podcast. It's a lot of fun. And for our family as well, I know what the next 18 years are going to look like. It's going to look a lot like that prototypical American family where the kids go off to school in the morning and they come back in the afternoon and, and we're going to have dinner together as a family. You know, Kate and I have talked about how that's a goal of ours. Like we want to sort of create this maybe overly idyllic sort of life, but that's the kind of life that we want to lead right now at least. And so because of that, work fits into that very well. Like there's a reason maybe why kids go off to school while your parents are off working. It it just kind of fits together. And so for me to feel less stress about my job to where I feel that it has to be able to produce a certain amount of money every single month because I'm on a variable monthly sort of income, that would be amazing. Yeah, I think the the draw of something like semi-retirement is kind of like you were saying, that you can get in a nice full day's work while the kids are at school. And then when they come home, there's no more work. Right. You, you yes, only have to work yes. that night if you want to. And, and you can work on the things that you're interested in. And that is such a super cool thing. And we realize like that's that's a hard thing to come by. That's not an easy thing. No, to no, make no like that's my goal. Yeah, that's a goal for <laughs> yeah. future for us, right? And even if you don't have kids to be able to work while your friends are working, because it's hard to live a sort of quote unquote normal life where your friends are working all day and then sometimes even into the night and for you to maintain those friendships, right? Like how do you maintain a friendship or how do you maintain sort of a regular life when, when your friends are working all day and you know, you're kicking back because you're basically you know, fully retired? Well, that's, that's kind of difficult. And so to be able to continually challenge yourself to, to create new things or to challenge yourself, to learn a new skill, finding ways to contribute, like all these are great reasons to continue to work but just without that stress. Yeah, and I think that ideal of semi-retirement allows you to, let's say you are pulling 10-hour days right now. Let's say you're a prototypical American and you're working more than 40 hours a week because most Americans are. Yeah. There's there's just a lot of work going on in our society. We've become highly productive people. We, we get a lot more done with a lot fewer human resources. Each individual American is so much more productive than they used to be 30 years ago, but we're working a lot more in order to make that happen at the same time. And so we, we feel that pull that we can't go on vacation or we're going to let our coworkers down. We feel the pull that we can't take time off or even call in sick because there's too much to be done. And the great thing about aiming for something like semi-retirement is that you can cut back and you can cut back to the point that feels reasonable and normal. Because to be honest, I would imagine a lot of you feel this pressure out there who are listening that you can't miss a day and that the demands in your daily job are, are just a lot. And having this kind of goal set out to reach something like a state of semi-retirement where you can make some income from the stuff that you care about uh, and the rest of your income is covered because let's say you've invested well in rental properties and you have great recurring monthly income from a few of those, uh, something like that. It kind of changes the game and it changes what our goal is. Our goal is not necessarily to retire from the company we're working for at the age of 70 uh, with like a gold watch on our wrist, but our goal is to exit earlier than that and be able to do more of what we care about. You know, Joel, I'll go ahead and readily admit though that this approach, like the semi-retired or the partial retired life, might sound a little boring to some folks to think that, oh yeah, my goal is to live a standard average American life, at least on the surface, right? Like obviously there's much different things going on underneath the surface when it comes to the finances of it. But maybe on the surface, it's like, oh, he takes his kids to school and he works all day and then he picks his kids up. Like, how is that that different? I think for a lot of folks that might not be very sexy, right? (laughs) And so for those folks, the third approach that Tanya mentioned, taking a career intermission, I think that's an incredible path and approach if you are more of maybe a high octane person, like where you're used to working hard, earning a lot of money, but you don't exactly know what you want to do with yourself once you achieve financial independence. And creating these, these intermissions, these sabbaticals, throughout your career, that allows you to take some time off and think about what it is that you do truly want to do. Like, what is it that I really do want to do when I don't have to work anymore, when I don't have to clock in every single day 
those periods can give you some time to meditate and to like creatively brainstorm, you know, like be creative, like think about the things that truly make you happy. Yeah. It's a way to kind of enjoy, I think the fruits of your labor now, as opposed to continually saying that you're going to do it when you eventually retire. And I think for a lot of people, retirement is this vague notion, pie in the sky thing. I know it's going to happen someday, but why am I saving all this money for the time when I'm 70 and not living life now? And yeah. I think you know that's what we stress in this show too, Matt, is, is to live a rich life now on less money. And a career intermission is kind of a cool way to do that. And so two quick examples. I kind of took one of these really, really early on in my career. I took three months off. I'd interned at a radio station and then I got my first job at one and I worked there for five months. And it turned out... Uh, and you just, got burnout <laughs> and you're looking for a break, right? <laughs> it, wasn't, it, was, it wasn't quite that bad. It wasn't burnout, but it just wasn't the right fit for me. Uh, yeah. in, in particular, I knew that that wasn't a place where I wanted to spend any more time. And so I gave plenty of notice, but what I ended up doing, I had saved $5,000, which was a high savings rate for me at making very, very little at my yeah, first I job. I'd, I'd saved a bunch of money and I bought a really, really old station wagon with my best buddy, Travis. Uh, sorry, you're my best buddy now, but yeah, yeah. This, was, is, this is old best buddy. Old right? best buddy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, still a good friend though. We loaded up. We we uh, we drove across country for three months. We saw the coolest stuff. For instance, we had a beer recently from Telluride, and I talked about going to Telluride. Yeah, that's and we, right. I saw so much of the country doing this. It was so wonderful, and it was worth the thousands of dollars I had set aside to travel the country for three months. I knew that it was a brief career intermission. I knew it wasn't going to be extended. One, because I didn't have the money to make it an extended one, and two, because I knew I wanted to get back to work. I was young in my career, but I knew if I took three months there that I didn't have too long of a gap in my resume and that I could have the most amazing time and see the most amazing things that I wouldn't be able to see. And that if I waited until I was 70 and did the normal thing and funneled that $5,000, let's say, into my 401k, I, I know that's going to grow and I'm missing out on compounding growth and all that stuff, but it wouldn't have been the same. And so I would suggest a career intermission to lots of folks. For instance, Matt, we had Chad Carson on our show about small-time real estate investing. And he and his family took uh, 17 months to go to Ecuador. That was a career intermission for him, uh, but such an amazing experience and so wonderful to hear the way he recounts it. Uh, and I think a lot of people can aim for something like that. That seems doable, right? Yeah. Another benefit of a sort of career intermission like that is you're able to prove it to yourself that that is actually what you're going to do. Like you said earlier, Joel, like how there's this pie in the sky goal, this lofty pinnacle of financial independence. And once I achieve that status, then I'll take the vacations. Then I'll do this thing that you know I said I was going to do. But having these sort of breaks in between, it really does give you a chance not only maybe to prove it to yourself, but maybe to prove it to your family. If you are just constantly being frugal and finding ways to be smart with your money and sacrificing now with the promise, oh, someday we're going to do this, or you know, we're going to do this vacation and it's going to be amazing, or we're, we're going to travel the world. Well, being able to stop right now and to actually try it out and to, to prove it to yourself that you are willing to do it, I think is huge. It's, and, it, and it's a huge learning opportunity as well, because you might have in your mind that you want to do all these things. And you know what? You might try it for six months and you may not like it. And all of a sudden, you know, your cheese has moved. What's my new goal? If that's no longer what you're seeking after, what is your new goal? What, what is the new thing that you're going to strive after? Because there's a huge paradigm shift that's just happened. I feel like you're giving a mousetrap reference here. <laughs> well, there's a book as well where it's, uh, you know, who moved my cheese? And it's all about goal setting and figuring out what it is that you're actually seeking after. And I'm just kind of touching on that briefly. But like, that's what's happening when it comes time to taking those breaks. And if you realize that you're not cut out for that sort of lifestyle, well, you need to figure out what will truly motivate you. And so after the break, we're going to get to sort of the way that you think about work and how that can change your attitudes right now, as well as the steps you can take to start working down that path towards working less in your life. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. That's why you listen to this podcast. And if you're looking to upgrade your wallet, you need to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. If you're paying for vacations with whatever card is in your wallet, you could be missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. You can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade, lounge access... Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. 
Cachava is the all-in-one superfood shake made up of high-quality plant-based nutrients. It's got greens, superfruits, plant proteins, antioxidants, adaptogens, probiotics, and in other words, everything your body craves to feel your best. This is where Cachava really earns their 52,000-plus five-star reviews. It tastes amazing. It's creamy and smooth with just water, and it comes in five delicious flavors. You can choose from chocolate, vanilla, chai, matcha, and coconut acai. Cachava is offering How to Money listeners 10% off for a limited time. I've been using Cachava in breakfast smoothies in the morning recently. It's just so nice to pack in a bunch of nutrients early in the a.m. in a way that's satisfying and energizing. So if you want to optimize your breakfast, your workout shake, be sure to check out Cachava. Just go to Cachava dot com slash how to money that's spelled k-a-c-h-a-v-a and get 10 percent off your first order that's k-a-c-h-a-v-a dot com slash how to money joel so we were just recounting our trip to scotland this is the trip that we took this time last year actually with some of our friends over the weekend and one of the highlights from edinburgh was stumbling upon the absolute best meat pie shop. Mm-hmm. They were fresh out of the oven. They had that perfectly flaky crust. But guess what? That serendipitous experience would never have happened if we'd stayed at a boring hotel. We had found the perfect flat in the coolest part of town, thanks to Airbnb. Ah, oh, man. I'm still dreaming about those meat pies. You're making, my, <laughs> you're making me drool. And while turning to Airbnb might be a no-brainer when you're looking to spend some money on travel, it might not be the first thing you think of when you're looking to make some money. Why let it sit empty, your house, when it could be earning extra income, though? It's the financially smart thing to do. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra dough. Yeah, that's right. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. If you're listening to this podcast right now and you're a small business owner, listen up. Upswell Marketing would like to remind you that when customers choose your small business, they're actually choosing you. So focus on super serving your existing customers and let Upswell handle the pipeline generation of new leads and customers. They do everything from hyper-targeting best fit prospects through campaign optimization. Upswell Marketing's unique approach includes direct mail, search engine marketing, and social media ads, and has fueled more than 10,000 small business success stories. Upswell specializes in developing customized direct response campaigns and is now offering a no-obligation free assessment of your current marketing strategies. Not to mention, new customers also receive 15% off their first order when they mention that they heard about Upswell on this podcast. For more information, visit upswellmarketing.com. That's upswellmarketing.com. All right, Matt, we're back. And today we're talking about making work a smaller part of your life. And it's kind of funny how when you start to think about work in a different way and creating a a financial support system to make sure that work isn't the end all be all, how it can actually make the outlook on your current work change, the current job that you're doing right now and the way that you view it when you walk into work at 9 a.m. on a Monday or you know whatever your schedule is. It's amazing how having your financial ground game together can change everything in that way. Yeah, Joe, when you are financially stable, that power dynamic, you know, and your options, like that changes when you don't need to have your job anymore. You have that confidence to ask for what you want. And Tanya mentioned, you know, working on projects that you really care about or advocating for those under you, like those that work for you, you can work for better options for them. Man, that just gets me pumped, right? What an incredible way to put together a team where you can fight for not only your own pay and your own salary, but but those who are working on your team. You know, And you can't do that if you're in a position of weakness when it comes to your own finances. When you're set financially, and not set as in you can retire, but you know when you have some margin there, when you are in a healthy position, you can go to bat, you can make these requests. And yeah, certainly that power dynamic has completely flipped. Yeah, Matt, I think when you have a decent amount of savings built up, when you have started investing well, and you kind of begin to see your net worth kind of buoy a little bit, right? It grows. And it it gives you that confidence to, uh, one, I feel like ask for pay according to what you're worth. It it gives you the ability to be a little more bold in the requests that you make when it comes to how you spend your time at work. And I feel like also it gives you the opportunity to kind of explore ways that you can be more creative in your job that might benefit your employer, but that you've been nervous to ask about, to, to use your skills in kind of a different way. I think your whole outlook on work 
changes, not just from the potential fear of hearing that the business that you work for is closing its doors or is selling to another business, or if the economy takes a nosedive, you know, your job might be at risk. It it certainly helps you in those scenarios as well, but it helps you in the day to day to figure out, you know, how you can hone in on making your current job a little more of what you actually want it to be versus just going in and getting the work done. And so I think, yeah, your savings has an impact on what your job looks like right now, which is kind of cool. Or even if you're in a situation, man, like I am, where I'm self-employed, I don't have a boss. You know, I am my own boss. Like there isn't that omniscient being where you're kind of going to battle against, like Tanya mentioned. But there's even still a similar dynamic. When you have enough savings set aside, you can take risks. When you see an opportunity and something that might be perceived as slightly more risky, well, that's something that you can go for. Or even if it's as simple as raising your rates. Joel, I know in the past when Kate and I were considering raising our rates, if we weren't in a healthy position financially, that would have been a much scarier proposition because we would have been asking ourselves, well, what if no one hires us? What if the what if the emails start drying up? And, and these are fears that you kind of have regardless when you own your own business. But you know what? Those things are amplified when you are in a position of weakness when it comes to your finances. And when you're in a position of strength, you feel courage. You, you know, you have a little bit of runway there to try something new. You have a little bit of cushion to kind of fall back on in case things don't quite work out. Yeah, I love what Tanya said that once she and her husband had built up that one year mark, you know, getting to that one year mark of savings. And I don't even think you have to get to that extent. If you have three months worth of savings, that can be huge in the mental battle of how you approach your daily job. But the fact that, you know, Tanya is at this point where she's financially independent, but even just getting to that one year mark was this big mental sigh of relief that she said, you know what, I can approach my work in a completely different manner now. I can make it more of what I want it to be. And I felt the same thing at different small points along my career path that when I had a certain amount of income coming in from rental properties that assured me that I could cover some extremely basic needs, it made me think, okay, cool. Well, I love my job. I want to keep going, but I feel like I can ask for more uh, responsibility or more money or an ability to take on something that I wasn't previously allowed to take on or a team that I wasn't on before. It just gave me that ability to ask. And I think I wouldn't have done that if I had not had uh, some of that financial security coming from somewhere else. Awesome, Joel. I'm, I'm glad you kind of are gravitating towards that one year thing, right? Because I see that as an amazing stepping stone towards financial independence. Because honestly, as great as financial independence can be for somebody, it is such this large, massive thing. And it's really hard to identify exactly how much do you really need and what's the market going to be doing down the road. And there's just a lot of considerations to where it's this really fuzzy thing that you can't quite grasp. But you know what? it is very easy to figure out what your annual expenses are. Uh, Just look at last year. You know and you can quantify exactly how much it's going to take to live for a year. And because of that, it's a very clear goal. And we all know that clear identifiable goals are going to be able to be achievable, right? And so I love that she felt that power shift even when she did have that one year's worth of expenses saved up. I love that it's measurable and it's attainable. Whereas financial independence can sometimes feel like this massive elephant. Well, that first one year's worth of expenses, like that's that first bite of that elephant. And I think that's an incredible goal for folks to have. Just don't bite an elephant. They get really (laughs) upset. And yeah, it's awkward. But let's talk about the how-tos, Matt, when we are trying to kind of get started. And we've got, of course, just a lot of previous episodes where we tackle a lot of specifics when it comes to cutting your monthly bills, saving on your cell phone plan, that's what this podcast is, right? <laughs> yeah. A lot of those nuts and bolts, right? And this is kind of a little higher level. Like we're thinking, we're trying to reframe the way that we view work and how can we actually make it where we are able to work less in our lives and not just when we hit the age of 70. So Matt, how do we practically start to change some things so that we can actually start heading down that path uh, towards making work a little more optional in our lives? Yeah. Well, before you get too into the nuts and bolts of it, she still starts out pretty big and she says to start by mapping out your ideal life. Again, this kind of goes back to the whole idea of thinking about retirement. That can be so overwhelming because you don't exactly know what you want to do in retirement, but instead map out your ideal life. And for me, what that means is starting with like, what do I want my days to look like? Because once you can start identifying what you want your days to look like, well, then you can start putting your weeks together. Weeks, you know, lead to years. And all of a sudden you have an ideal life in your mind that you're trying to design. Like a lot of this comes down to designing what you want your life to look like and being intentional and proactive with your own life. And for most of us, uh, a certain amount of our life is when we do map out what our ideal life looks like is going to look kind of like work. Uh, It's going to look like something like writing 
or serving other people. And there are ways that you can do that right in the for-profit and the nonprofit sector uh, of our society for sure. Just know that this is not an effort while you're mapping out your ideal life to probably just binge watch Netflix eight hours a day. <laughs> it is likely going to look like some amount of doing something productive. And that's why we're not saying the goal is to get away from work. It is truly just to make work a little more optional in your life, not to kind of get rid of it altogether. The next step then in the how-to is to get tactical. Track your spending. And Matt, we have mentioned that before. It's such a crucial part of starting to get your money game together. Even if you feel like you do have a good savings rate, but you want to get to a place where work is a little more optional more quickly, well, you need to track your spending. You need to know what's incoming, what's outgoing, because there might be auto pay bills or ways that you're spending your money that don't necessarily align with your goals and that are preventing you from making work a smaller part of your life. And that might be a bigger goal that you have that seems like it's going to take longer than you want it to. And that's probably because you're not tracking your spending very well. And so that is one way to start in order to kind of find out how much you need to save in order to make this a possibility and in what time frame. Yeah, Joel, and that time frame, like that's so incredibly important, right? Because you are trying to achieve something within a set number of years, most likely. And what you're looking at is performance. And so I'm going to analogy I'm going to use is like running. Sure, you can go run because you want to stay fit, you enjoy it, fresh air, stress relief, right? All the different things that comes with running. But if you have identified a goal and say with for running, maybe that's running like a 10K in 45 minutes or something. You start timing yourself if you're going to run because if that's the goal you're trying to achieve, you can't just run willy-nilly and expect to maybe hit that. Well, sure, you might if you run hard enough. But if you don't have those numbers, if you aren't able to quantify it, well, you don't really know where you are before you get to that point. And guess what? If you're looking at retirement or semi-retirement, you need to know the numbers. You have to know what your expenses are. You have to know how much money you've saved up until that point. Because from there, you can make confident decisions based on the numbers that you've been tracking. Yeah. And one of the practical tips that Tanya gave that I think is so freaking helpful for people is to automate it, to start splitting your paycheck maybe and taking 15% of that and having it automatically funneled into another savings account that you don't really think about. Basically paying yourself first and a forced method of that is to automate it. Most of us, once the money hits our bank account, we are not very good at parsing it out and funneling it towards uh, our retirement accounts. And so finding ways to make it easy and to prevent yourself from even touching it in the first place is huge. Broadly speaking on this show, every week, we, we are either talking larger concepts like this where we're broadly sort of thinking about money differently, or we're diving into the nuts and bolts, right? Where like we're finding ways to widen that gap between what you're earning and what's going out, your expenses. And then with that difference of money between your income and your expenses, making sure that you are investing that money, that you're allowing that money to grow into the full potential of what it could be by the time you do reach retirement, regardless of what type of retirement you're seeking after, whether that is full-on early retirement or you're considering you know, a partial sort of retirement that would allow you to, to switch to some work that you would find more fulfilling. So Matt, I feel like actually kind of what we're going through right now are kind of our final thoughts. Yeah, yeah those are our final thoughts by, by default, right? <laughs> so one last thing I wanted to say though, was that it's really important to at least save just enough to give you that extra boldness to know that if something does happen at your work or in your own business that you own and run, uh, that if, if a, you have a bad month or your employer does have a round of layoffs, that you're not completely nervous because you have no level of financial stability. So get started and save enough to make sure you have a certain level of confidence and boldness to be able to make decisions that are going to benefit you in the long run. That is how you're going to be able to make work a smaller part of your life. Maybe now, maybe in the near term, but it also gives you that kind of light at the end of the tunnel that you don't have to work like most Americans do so much of their work week consistently. You can actually cut back and spend more time on the things that are more meaningful to you. That's right, Joel. Let's now uh, go ahead and get back to our beer this week, which was the Quadrahopic Series IPA. Thanks again to Kayla for sending us this beer. It's got four different hops. This is getting kind of nerdy, but I love the names of the different hops, dude. <laughs> Columbus, Simcoe, Amarillo, Chinook. <laughs> <laughs> They're all hops, but they all, they've all got like the different cool names, and I like seeing them all written here on this can. Yeah, and they've all got different flavors. So I was at a bar the other night, and I had a single hop beer. And it was really interesting because you really do taste like for for instance this beer Quadrahopic four hops from Land Grant Brewing by the way 
this beer was really cool. It had flavor notes from each one of the hops. I'm certainly not an expert enough in hops to know what each one tastes like, but it was really interesting. I would like to know, personally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get there. We'll I want to get that good someday. We will. But yeah, I had one the other day, like I said, that was a single hop, and it was really fascinating to taste that one and see what the flavor profile of that one hop was. Yeah. And I felt like I got to know that hop a little bit, and it was, yeah, kind of intimate and nice and <laughs> sweet. So Just a one-on-one, you and that hop. Exactly. Yeah, it's, yeah so it's cool. And this, this beer, the quad Hopic uh, series IPA from Land Grant was was really nice. So I enjoyed getting to know the four hops at one time. Yeah, to me, this one drank more like a West Coast IPA. It kind of had more of that sort of grapefruit bitterness going on, where it's, where it's delicious and juicy, but at the same time, it, it drinks like pretty dry, which is which is a nice change of pace. We've been drinking a lot more the New England style IPAs lately, where it's very cloudy and juicy. It's almost like you're drinking orange juice. It's good to go back to more of a West Coast IPA. And to enjoy one here that's a little more traditional. Yeah, but still, lots of hoppy goodness. All right, and since we already did our final thoughts, Matt, let's peace out of this episode, all right? Thanks again to Tanya for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. If you want to find out more about her work, you can check out her blog, rnextlife.com, and you can check out her new book, Work Optional. And Matt, we're going to give away four copies of this book. All you have to do to enter in for this book giveaway is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not an Apple user, you can leave a review on Stitcher. Either way, that's totally cool. And then just send us an email at howtomoneypod at gmail.com with the username that you left your review under. We'll enter you in and give away some of these copies uh, this coming week. Just make sure to send us that email by Friday afternoon. We'll close off the entries Friday at 5 o'clock. As always, you can find our show notes up on our website to all of our episodes at howtomoney.com. And until next time, man, best friends out. Best friends out. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. I'm excited to announce a new season of my podcast, Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. Our guests this season show us big risk can yield big rewards. Like Rob Riley, the creative head of one of the world's leading advertising firms. I try to create environments where anybody can say anything without any judgment. Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.